Ah, blessings, everyone. Well, we are embarking upon Thanksgiving this week, and so you might be thinking we'll have a traditional service around gratitude and, I don't know, the sufficiency of goodness of life. And you know what? We will get there, (laughs) but I'm not going to start out there. We've been using this book called Enough Already of Alan Cohen's and really talking about what makes our lives sufficient and good. And last week, if you'll remember, we talked about a little bit about the idea of perfectionism and how even striving for a better life sometimes, when taken to an extreme, actually keeps us from enjoying life because we're always that seeker. We're always looking for something a little better overlooking the obvious sufficiency of what we already have, uh, forgetting to enjoy life as it comes when instead we're, we're always looking on the other side of the fence for something brighter or the, the other way of being totally ignoring what? The blessing of life right here. Well, I want to kind of start there this week. Uh, and in fact, I want to respond a little bit to a, a rebuttal, if you will, from someone last week who, who came to me and said, well, really what you're talking about is comparisons, right? Isn't it good that we're discerning? Isn't it actually an essential part of human nature that we make comparisons? Absolutely. Makes total sense to me. In fact, if you think about it, probably the only reason we have survived as a species is that we do make comparisons. Think about us, maybe in prehistoric times, you could call me Ugg if you want, and uh, and Ugg a few thousand years ago, right? Well, actually many thousands of years ago. Think about how I would have survived. It would have been my power of discernment maybe about which of the caves were warmer and maybe weren't occupied by other things. It would, have, it, would have, it would have been my discernment around what kinds of things to eat were most nutritious. You know, eat those things, don't eat those things. It would have been my discernment to decide which animals maybe were easier to catch. Do you know what I mean? It really would have been my power of comparison. You know, which predator maybe do I need to run from a little faster? Really important. But you know what? Probably around the same time, something went horribly wrong. So picture yourself with Ugg in our our slightly warmer cave at night. And I'm looking over and I notice that that other cave dweller over there has really shiny hair. And I look down... I look down at my own fur and I say, I wish I had hair as shiny as they do. And then maybe, (laughs) Sharon Sharon over here is just about ready to leave. (laughs) And then maybe I observe someone else living in the cave with me and I think to myself, if only I could bite off my nails as cleanly evenly as she does. You know, I'm really just no good at this. The birth of self-doubt. The birth, if you will, of esteem issues. Probably around the same time that we learn to make those comparisons, even then, we may have been directing them inwardly. It's really hard to be thankful when you don't think you're worthy of even the life you have. 
The self-doubts that we put on ourselves in society here in America are tremendous. If you think about it, last week we talked about perfectionism outwardly, always looking for you know the better job, always looking for the, the better lifestyle, always looking for the better partner. But that is nothing to the job that we do on ourselves looking for perfection within. Well, I want to start today with a, a, a joke about perfection. I'll call it the perfect man. So the preacher had been sermonizing for some time. He was talking about sin and how nobody is immune. There's no such thing as a perfect woman, he roared. Anyone present who has ever known a perfect woman, stand up now. Well, of course, no one was brave enough to stand up. Or a man, he bellowed. They're just as bad. Anyone who has ever known a perfect man, stand up now. Well, after an uncomfortable pause, one demure little man way in the back did stand up. So you knew an absolutely perfect man, the preacher asked, somewhat disbelieving. Well, said the fellow, I I didn't know him personally, but I have heard a great deal about him. He was my wife's first husband. (laughs) Do Do you see this... This idea of comparison, this idea of perfectionism, it just simply gets us in trouble when we begin comparing ourselves to other people. When is it sufficient? When am I sufficient? If always there's going to be someone to compare to, if always there'll be someone on the news, and and oh my word, aren't the comparisons staggering? If you should look at the media of how they think we should look, of how we should dress, of the kind of homes we should have, and the kind of cars we should drive, how can I ever hope to compete with that? I mean, I can wear the suit from GQ, and I'm sorry, but they're not going to put me in the pages on it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Right? It's like no amount of things or or doing whatever's necessary is going to make me into you know a movie star how do we deal with these issues first of all i want to start with ernest holmes the founder of science of mind this was recently published in the science of mind magazine here's a quote from ernest holmes he says god made me and god cannot make mistakes perfect god perfect person perfect being well, what do you think he's talking about? Is it really like Ernest Holmes said? Or, or is it that preacher that says, you know, we're, we're all born into sin. You know, there's nothing but a big mistake here and I'm wallowing right in the middle of it. How, how can Ernest Holmes, well, no, really, how can Ernest Holmes sort, sort of look us in the eye or at least look at us across the page of Science of the Way magazine and say I'm perfect? Well, first off, I think he may have been A little bit metaphorically, he maybe have been talking about the perfection, maybe of our soul, the perfection of our spiritual nature. And certainly, I I resonate with that, the idea that God makes everything. I do believe that God does a good job of it, and so therefore, therefore, me, made as part of God, also am whole and perfect. And I sort of get that on the outside, but I got to tell you, a lot of days I don't feel that perfect. A lot of days it's difficult for me to see or witness that perfection. And so I began thinking about this a little bit. Why is this so? And I have good news and I have bad news. First of all, the bad news is if we measure ourselves, we will never be perfect. Right? 
If we're going to physically measure ourselves to compare with magazines, to compare with lifestyles, to compare with stature, to compare with, uh, with beauty, to compare with intelligence, we will always find someone most likely that will be above us on some scale of measurement out there. So the bad news is, if we are going to measure ourselves, we will never be perfect. Never in the sense that society might want. Never in the sense that our culture says is the way you should be or the way you should show up or the job you should have. There will always be someone that's doing it better, that's got it made, that's prettier, that's smarter, that has a better job. But there's good news. And the good news is, it's all made up. (laughs) The good news is, who cares? The good news is, this is something that society, that culture has made up, and it changes. I mean, I'm glad that we can't somehow make ourselves into the image of the perfect man or the perfect woman. You know why? Because it'd be different next week. If you look, I mean, even just looking back in time a little bit, if it was 150 years ago, none of the women in this room would be attractive, and I'll tell you why. Because their butts aren't big enough. 150 years, no, truly, none of, none of y'all, 150 years ago, the divine feminine form, they were disguising their bottoms with a big bustle to make them look huge because that was the divine form about 150 years ago. If you go back into Paul, uh, uh, um, Polynesia, the Polynesian ideal for centuries was you weren't pretty unless you were topping around 250 or 300 pounds for men and women. That was an absolute ideal in Polynesia for for hundreds of years. You go back in history, you go into other cultures, and we are, it's, it's as though it were different breeds of dogs. It's like, it's, it's like wait a minute, how can, how can little Bella... You know, and a St. Bernard would be the same animal. You would think the same was true of human beings if you just look in different cultures and different times. Everything about us wanting to conform to an ideal measurement or an ideal way of life, totally made up. That's the good news. Totally and completely made up. Here's what... Alan Cohen has to say about this whole idea. He says it is wise to reach for perfection, but unwise to beat yourself up if you do not personally attain it. Striving for perfection creates excellence, but an overabundance of it creates frustration and depression. There is a perfection in your journey that is not obvious until the end of the journey. Enjoy the process of life and let your flaws become your friends. When you embrace your humanness, you will liberate the divine. I want to use another example that I think will make uh, this a little bit easier. So we're Oregonians. In the summer, it means we're outside a lot. Right? It's, it's like our big chance. <laughs> who, here, who here enjoys seeing beauty in nature out in the forest? or ma- Yeah, exactly. Oregonians, I think, are, are kind of nature nuts in a way. Whether it's a hike, whether it's a walk, whether it's being at the beach, whether it's just being out in our yards. It's like when the weather is fine, life is fine. 
And we see perfection everywhere. I remember last time I went to Silver Falls and I did the, the big loop around all the falls and oh my gosh, it was, a, it was like literally every step I was staggered by the beauty of it. Why is that? We do know the forest is a mess, right? I mean, everything's out of order. Some of the trees are half dead. There are leaves on some of the trees, not leaves on other trees. Some trees are broken down. Things growing up on top of each other. This can't be good. <laughs> Everything about the forest is a total mess. I mean, even, even just look at the trees themselves, right? Here will be one with smooth, lovely bark, and here will be like a dug fir. That's all just a mess with the bark peeling off and looking hideous. There'll be one over there where the bark's peeling. Over here is a tree that's half dead, right? Do you, you do see the craziness of this talk, right? And, <laughs> please, tell me. <laughs> Instinctively instinctively we know that I'm just being bullshitty here. <laughs> instinctively we know that the forest is absolutely perfect. It's whole. That even the trees that are, are, are maybe very old and starting to decompose, that that diversity actually adds to the beauty of the forest. We recognize, not just in some spiritual way, but in the literal way of the form of the forest, that all of that diversity that the brand new trees, that the ancient trees, that the leaves that are up and the leaves that are down, the moss that's growing and the things growing on top of each other, that all of it doesn't exist to somehow be divided up and be made separate and find flaws in it. Quite the opposite. In nature, we understand it takes all of that to be beautiful. Then we look in the mirror. Why does somehow nature end when we look in the mirror? <laughs> right? Do you see where I'm going with this? It is so clear to me that those of us who love being outdoors, those of us who can see the beauty and the, the incredible diversity of nature and never once think, well, that tree's a little too tall or that one's a little too wide. Oh my gosh, that tree, it's getting pretty old. What a shame, right? <laughs> But then we put us into community with other people. That's like the first place we go. Why do we do this? Well, and maybe why, maybe why isn't the right question to ask. But certainly a question to ask is, can we stop doing this? Because you know what? When I look out in this audience, I see that same beautiful forest. I see those of us of all different ages, of different colors. I see all of us with the, the pieces that if, if we were out in the forest, we would never even see them or think of them as flaws. Part of the character of who we are. Part of the beautifulness of both the individuals in this room as well as the group that it makes up. This is the divine. And you know what? It does not end at our spiritual nature. I am here to tell you that you are all beautiful. Even the form of you are beautiful. Just as the trees in that forest with all of their flaws and idiosyncrasies and, and whatever it is, we can just look at that and say, this is beautiful, that tree is beautiful, so are you beautiful. You know, in most of the great scriptures in this planet, there is something that goes like this. 
And humans were created in the image of God, right? In Genesis, in the, in the Jewish tradition, it's said almost word for word that way. In other great world religions, it's all said that humanity is made in the image or in the likeness of God. And I don't think it was just our souls. I think that when we look literally in the mirror, we can say, perfect God perfect person, perfect Larry, and mean it. Now you know I like to assign a little bit of homework. I'm going to assign you some Thanksgiving homework. On Thanksgiving morning, before you get up and start making your meal or your travel plans, before you uh, really sit down and, and recognize the many, many, many things you're thankful for, on your way into the restroom, I'd like you to take a good look in the mirror and offer some thanks. You are literally made in God's image. Literally, you, by the grace of God, that God that does not mistakes, that, that God that is perfect, that God that is whole, that God that creates and creates and creates and always does it flawlessly, you are part of that. Let us give thanks for it. You, my friends, are whole, perfect, and complete. So that's your homework for Thanksgiving. I'm going to close with a final quote from this book and a prayer. Here's what Alan Cohen continues to say about this idea of comparisons. He says it's time to give up the comparison game. When we use others for role models, this is okay. But do not, crowd, do not cower in their shadow. You have your own niche in the grand scheme of creation. Do not compromise your wholeness by seeing yourself as less than others or more. All share equally in the gifts from God. Happiness is not won, nor is it lost by comparison. It finds itself in your confidence to be precisely what and who only you can be. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. It is that infinite diversity of all things, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. This is God in its pantheon of beauty, of completeness, of joy, of love. And my friends, it means me. It means that I too am made in that image of, of life, of goodness and perfection. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room and beyond. Each person here shows up in a unique way that is only how they can be. That, that authentic and truth that is at the very heart of each person here. And that is beautiful. And so today I celebrate the beauty in this room. I celebrate the capability in this room. I celebrate the integrity and the peace in this room. It is you all. And so with a great gratitude, I just acknowledge this time of thanksgiving. I acknowledge the perfection of God in its image, in its human form, in this room as it is in every room. I just let it be. And together we say... And so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.